Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews & Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. My name is Marcelo Taboada and I'm joined today by our very own Ruben Antoine. He is the host of the French podcast, L'Investisseur Transformé. Ruben, you've been killing it on the French podcast, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Marcelo. Thank you. I'm trying to do uh, my best, uh, as you are doing with the English podcast, you know, just to uh, provide financial education and good information to our listeners. Right. So the reason I have you today for the intro, Ruben, is because today we're going to be talking about kids and money. And you just did a very good podcast with one of the guests we've had in the show here at The Empowered Investor, Steve Legler. You did a podcast with him regarding kids and money. So tell me why talking to kids and teaching them about money is important. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, I really enjoy doing that episode because uh, I have uh, two young girls and the oldest is five years old. And we are really trying at this young age to teach her some basic concept about money and uh, why is it important and why studying at such a young age? It's because, you know, as parents, Marcelo, we always try to give to our kids the best values in life, you know, so that they can become good people, good uh, citizens, and they can... Uh, act the right way in society and with people around them. So when we think about values, financial values are important as well. Money can be a very useful tool, but also a very uh, dangerous tool if you don't know how to use it properly. So it's important as the kids are young to start teaching them how to use money eventually so that uh, when they become adults, they don't take those bad financial habits that can create problems. So by problems, when you think about, you know, we all know people around us, For example, sometimes people living above their means or people having debt problems, stress, financial stress. We know that money can be one of the main cause of divorce. So, you know, all those obstacles or challenges that can happen in life that we don't want our kids, if possible, to go through. One way to help to maybe help them avoid or at least mitigate those risks is to teach them in an early age and as they are growing up about money, right? And uh, one last thing, it's even in the interest of the parents as well to help their kids understand and manage money because many parents find themselves helping their kids when they are going through financial challenges, when you think about bankruptcies or divorces. So sometimes the parents, at the expense of their own retirement, they end up helping the kids. So everyone wins when we know at least how to manage, how to act, and how to uh, handle money. You know what? And I see the way you talk to your kids and I see the way your kids are growing up and how you and Mary are educating them. And it's remarkable. Like You're definitely setting up an example for, at least for me, you know, I see you as a role model here at the company for professional and also in life. But I think you're setting up a, a good example for also everybody here who will have kids in the future. So I do want to give you kudos for that. Oh, thank you, Marcelo. Thank you. Thank you. Just trying our best. <laughs> of course, of course. So today's podcast is on the same topic, Marcelo, teaching kids about money. I'm happy that both in the French and the English podcast, we are tackling the same subject because it's a very important one. And you have a very interesting guest that you're going to have a discussion with on the topic. So can you tell me a bit more and tell the listeners a bit more about your guest today? Absolutely. So it's crazy how social media can be a force of good. And so my guest today is Will Rainey. I met him through LinkedIn. Um, he just messaged me randomly and uh, we connected. He sent me a copy of his book, which talks about money. I'll, we're going to talk about it on the podcast. I'll give you a, a list of resources later. But it's just amazing that we connected. So Will Rainey has gone from advising some of the world's largest insurance companies, retirement and government programs on how they can best look after money to helping parents make sure their kids are learning the right money value. So he's an actuary by training. In 2017, Ruben, he moved his whole family to Vietnam and he's dedicated his life now to 
teaching parents and educating children about money. So just a remarkable story, great person, and so passionate about the subject. Like I enjoyed this interview like you have no idea. Like it was like one of the best ones I've been a part of. Wow, wow, okay. <laughs> you, I can see the excitement, so I'm very looking forward to uh, listen to your conversation with Ulreni. But you mentioned that he sent you his book and uh, he, he created some other resources. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Right, so I'm going to tell you where people can find Will's stuff. So Will has a blog people can read. It's called bluetreesavings.com. So if you go to that website, you can find a lot of his blog postings. So he writes about like social media, technology, money, like and its effects with kids regarding money. So a variety of subjects, like for parents who want these resources, it's amazing. He also has a course for parents that parents can enroll and he walks you through like how to teach kids about money, which is amazing, right? And it's not that expensive. And he also has the book that he sent me. It's called uh, Grandpa's Fortune Fables. So it's a book that it's really simple, very easy to understand for kids. I read it. It's a fantastic read, even for an adult. Like I'm sure if parents are reading this to their kids, they're going to be learning a thing or two because these things are not intuitive. You know, our system doesn't teach us these things. So those are the three things that people can do to find out wills. And I hope everybody enjoys the interview. I'm looking forward to it, Marcelo. All right. Take care and happy listening. Welcome to the show, Will. I'm super excited to have you here. Like I was telling you off mic, I don't have any kids, but I do know a lot of people who have kids. I do enjoy my nephews. And also one of my life goals is to have kids. So this subject fascinates me. Your book is unbelievable. I think you hit it out of the park. It's simple to understand. It's really easy to read. And I can't wait to share it with like many people. But Let's just start with like, what's your story? How did you get into this? Yeah, sure. Well, so my background is I'm an actuary. So out of university, went straight into like kind of corporate world. So I'm from the UK. And then we decided to go on a bit of an adventure. So I got an opportunity to go and work in Hong Kong with my company. So I went to Hong Kong in 2014. And there I was working as an investment consultant to uh, institutional investors. So retirement funds the insurance companies, um, education endowments. And so that was really good. I was enjoying that, talking to some of the biggest investors in the world. But then was, I think it's about 2017, I was just talking to someone about my two daughters and they said, oh, uh, enjoy this time with them. They only grow up once. It's such a simple, obvious statement, but it had a big impact on me. And I was like, yeah, they do. And they're growing up so quickly. So I really wanted to take some time off corporate world to spend time with them when they were growing up. And so my wife and I put in a plan and, we, and in 2019, we both left our corporate jobs that we enjoyed and we moved to a place called Hoi An in Vietnam, which is like one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. I recommend everyone that goes there for at least a holiday. And so we did that and we were very fortunate because we had some savings and investing for the longest time. So we have this kind of financial security to be able to take this time off. So my kids were at school. So there's an international school where we were. And so I wanted to have a little bit of a project. At that time, I just kind of thought about how lucky we are to be in this position. And when I left Hong Kong, there's a lot of my colleagues were like, how are you going to afford to do this? And I was like, well, haven't you got savings? Could you not do the same thing? And they, they were like, no, we, we definitely wouldn't be able to. And so I was like, right, I really want my kids to be able to have at least the option of having this opportunity when they're growing up. So I thought, all right, I'm going to start teaching them about money. So I thought I'd start sharing my little stories that I was telling my kids at bedtimes about money. And it seemed to get a really good response. So parents were enjoying the way in which I was teaching them. It was kind of very, very basic. It was fun. So I was using analogies and stories rather than just a lecture about money. Yeah. So I started a company called Blue Tree Savings, which is there just to help parents or guardians teach their kids about money. So I think now I'm just so passionate about it. Now I've learned so much. I just want all children to be able to learn about money. I checked your website. Like I said, I read your book. I think it hits it out of the park and it is so easy to understand. Like I love the analogies in the book. So for me, when I was reading it, I was like, wow, this is like, it's so simple. It just makes it so easy for any person. Like 
even an adult can pick up this book and just learn so much. Which that's what's amazing about the book, right? But tell me, like, how did the genesis of the book? Like, where was your aha moment when you decided to write the book? Yeah, so the book. So I started off just writing blogs. And some of those blogs, I was sharing like real world stories. So how I taught my children about the stock market by being in McDonald's. But then I'd, I'd have some of these little mini stories about different money topics. And it was only after about 18 months or so of writing these blogs that someone said, you've got enough little stories in there that you can make a book. And so I just took the little stories that I'd kind of had in these different blogs. And because it's a blog, you get to see which blogs have done well, which ones haven't. So I kind of had a little bit of pre-screening of right, which stories people enjoyed and the feedback. And so I took them and then I changed them around so I had a constant flow and the different characters were consistent throughout the book. And so it kind of came out that way. So I never, ever thought that I'd ever have a book. I never, even when we started writing the blogs, I was never a writer. I was just seeing how it went. And so the book didn't take very long so I say after 18 months, and it took about three or four months after that to actually get the book all together, because as I, say, I had all the story, most of the stories already written, I just had to change them around. But then it yeah, took a little work to get the editing and the, the illustrations and the, the little games and stuff I put in the book. Yeah, what was fascinating to me was how you managed to get every single important subject about investing in the story. So you got saving, investing, risk, bear markets, charity. So that was remarkable, to be honest with you. Thank you. No, well, one of the bits, one of my favorite ever books, uh, myself, personal finance ones, is The Richest Man in Babylon. So that's a fantastic book. And I've read that many times. And I like the fact that that was done in story format as well. I tried to actually read that to my kids at one stage, but just because it uses the old kind of Babylonian language, it was so hard. I ended up just you end up just translating rather than teaching. My desire was, I hope this book can be the sort of kid's version of The Richest Man in Babylon. So it has a lot of the same kind of themes, but using a sort of kid's thing. But the point that you made about adults can read this, and, and that's essentially a bit of a Trojan horse that I wanted to have, that parents would sit down with their kids and read the book with their kids. And the kids, parents would go, oh, actually, I've never learned this before, such as I say about investing, tax, debt, mortgages, all those kind of different topics. Yeah. And what really like resonated with me is how important, and I think you sneak that message in the book, like not upfront, but it's there, right? Where it's really about the upbringing as well and how your parents relate kids to the money. So like the story of Gail and Boris, right? Like they have different parents and different styles. So let's get into that now because I have some questions. So just on a basic level, like why would you say it's important to teach kids about money? What I didn't realize when I first started to do all this bit, because I, I was an investment person. So I initially focused on teaching about investing because I thought, right, all parents should start an investment account for their kids. It was just compound interest over time would be a massive savings. Then I started to go back and say, right, why aren't people investing? It's not that they don't know about it. Most of the time, they just don't have enough money for it. <laughs> so they have no savings. So you can't invest. You have no savings. Okay, why, why aren't people saving? And then it goes back to what they kind of learned when they were growing up. So if they saw their parents spending all the time, if they only ever heard about money and spending, money and spending. So when they make some money for their birthday or, or any other sort of major life event, the adults and the parents particularly say, what are you going to go and spend that money on? That's probably quite a common phrase or common question. But actually, that's having a massive impact on the children's minds because they form most of their adult money behaviors by the age of seven, which I never knew about. And this is some huge research. And so again, when they're learning and all they hear is money is for spending, money is for spending, it becomes hardwired. And then what happens, it becomes their habits and then when you become adults, we know how hard it is to change those habits. So at some point in the future, they'll get told, oh, you should save some money. But like, I've never been taught how to save. I don't know how to save. <laughs> it's not, I know the concept of saving is easy, but it's a bit like going through all your life. And then someone just says, no, you've got to eat healthy. You can't just suddenly start eating healthy. <laughs> you have to go through a whole process and change your mindset, your lifestyle. And that's the same thing with money. And so it's so much easier if children learn some basic money rules, such as saving a little bit of the money that they receive, not saving at all, because that's a bit boring, but saving a little bit and just getting into that habit. And if children grow up 
saving a little bit every time they get some money, that's going to be their habit. And that's just what they're going to do. And it's going to mean they're going to have more confidence. They're going to have savings. They're going to have less money worries. Um, they're going to just see the world in a different way because they've, they've kind of seen that money can grow over a period of time. And I always just want it to be that when kids grow up and they have savings and people say, how, how would you get these savings? It's a lot of, because my parents spent a little bit of time teaching me the importance of saving from a young age. And it's just, it's just what I do. <laughs> and that's why it's so important to, to teach kids about money and helping them form action. So it's not just do this, it's this is what you should do and, and in the actions and habits that they form. A hundred percent. But let me, so I'm from Latin America. I grew up in El Salvador for Latin, Latin American families. I know this is a common thing and across many like different cultures as well. Money is a big taboo subject. Like it's something we don't talk about. It's something we don't discuss in the table. It's something we don't bring up. Why talking about money is so hard for so many people? Well, most people have never been taught about money and that people have a lot of view that money is about status. So it's the more money you have, the more educated you must be, the more power that you must have. And so people sort of don't really want to talk about it because they don't want to have that view on their self-esteem about, oh, I have less money or more money than that person. And I can understand why people don't want to share their salaries, et cetera, because it might be a reflection in this other pieces. But Within the home, we need to start to break down that taboo. We need to feel, have kids feel that talking about money is fine. And we know now that financial wellness and financial well-being is so, so important. As I say, most of mental health problems, if you kind of break them down, actually go back to money. And so this is all coming from the fact that people don't talk about money. <laughs> so we need to, for the sort of mental and financial well-being of the next generation, we need to start talking about it. The really interesting piece is even if you don't talk about money, it's got a negative implication. So it's a bit like most children don't swear or hopefully most parents don't swear around <laughs> their children. And it's, it's the absence of swearing that children know that swearing exists. My parents don't do it and therefore it's a bad thing. And it's the same thing with money. If, if parents don't talk about it, the kids will be like, my parents don't talk about it. Therefore, it must be a bad thing. And then as they grow up, they're not used to talking about money. So when they do find themselves in financial strife, they're not like, oh, I shouldn't talk about this to anyone. And therefore, they keep it within themselves. They don't look for help. Absolutely. It's so interesting you mentioned that because mental health is such a big thing. And we're more aware now about the consequences of the financial, the financial stress can lead to a lot of like, you know, mental health issues. And the other thing that's interesting is we recently did an episode on couples and finances And we end up realizing that, you know, the divorce rate in Canada is about 40%. I think broadly around the world is about 50%. But we found out that one in four of those divorces end up being because of financial strain. Yeah, no, 100%. And you can understand why that, that can be the case. Because even within the marriages, they don't talk about it. And as you say, they probably have some secret bits or I earn this money. So therefore it's my money, not our money and those kind of conversations. And so, yeah, just having children that feel confident enough to talk about money, understand how to look after money, because then if you've got, hopefully they'll meet someone else who also appreciates and understands how to look after money. And that's a sort of a bedrock for a solid relationship, I hope. A hundred percent. So you've mentioned before from age zero to seven, kids are getting conditioned, they build habits. So what is a perfect age to start teaching kids about money and investing and What are tangible things that parents can do like today to start this process? Yeah. So there's a few things that you can do from even the youngest age, like two years old. You don't start talking about money. But one of the bits I talk about in the book and just come to appreciate is patience is the kind of superpower of money. If you can teach your children to be patient. And so even at two years old, just getting your child to say, You can have this, but well, maybe not two years, but maybe three years, but trying to get them to have little bits where they can, they can have it, but they have to wait a little while. And it, again, it only has to be a couple of minutes for, for a small child like that. But as they get older and older, you kind of expand that, that time frame. But even playing shop and just showing little transactions is fantastic because it shows that if you buy something from the shop and they get something back and they can see those transactions, especially as we're moving into this kind of cashless world, Being able to play those little games at the youngest age is one. Then from about the age of four, 
is when you can start to introduce uh, pocket money or allowance with children. Again, just the smallest of piece, but just to say to them, look, you can go to the shops and buy I don't know, a sweets or a bit of candy and they can see that transaction. They can only use that money once, for example, and they're learning those lessons. And well, the key piece of that is you can then start forming the habit. So every time they get a little bit of pocket money or allowance, it doesn't matter how small it is. So even if it's just I don't know, a dollar every week or whatever it may be, but making sure they save just a little bit of it. <laughs> so they can only spend 90 cents of it. So they can still spend most of it. So it's not going to change their enjoyment, but they're learning to keep that little bit. And it's that form. And if they keep that on as the mounts get bigger and bigger, that's huge. And then as they get older, then you can start to introduce the new topics. I think my, my eldest daughter was about seven years old when I started to introduce the concept of investing and what investing is in the stock market. Uh, but I used it in a very simple way using, I say, McDonald's and, and seeds and trees, et cetera. You know, but then just as they go up, you can introduce new topics. And so, yeah, even my, my daughter's now, my oldest is 10. She knows most money topics, not to the biggest degree, but she has some awareness of, let's say, tax, mortgages, all these different topics. She for sure has an edge over like a big part of the population, just knowing those things up front, right? A bit of a follow-up question on what you were mentioning before the different stages. So there are many different schools of thought when it comes to adding financial rewards. So I asked a friend, you know, like, is there something that you want to know about like having, uh, you know, kids and money? And he came back and said, you know, I would really like to know about introducing this concept of financial rewards for doing chores around the house. What's your thought on that? Like, are there any effective strategies that we can teach kids regarding this? Yeah. So in a sense, there's no real right and wrong. I've heard arguments both ways about that. For my, me, when you start giving allowance to children, to start off, just make it that they just get the money. No work, no punishment. They always get that. Just so they have start to form this really positive link with money and they get this opportunity and they can start making these decisions because there is a downside that when you start to introduce either chores or potentially a punishment and link it to money, that can have a negative mindset and it can say, oh, I don't like money because it just links them back to these negative situations that they've been in. But the saying that, so with my daughters, we give them a little bit of allowance every week, but we give them the option to earn extra. So we do give them some kind of bonus chores. So we don't give them any money or any consequences to that in terms of like making their beds or brushing their teeth or anything like that. I know some people do, but we don't. But there's some bits like maybe doing the gardening or washing the car, some bits that I might pay other people to do I can just essentially I'll pay my kids so we have like a games cupboard that gets messy every now and then so we we say right who's going to tidy up the games cupboard and we'll pay them a little bit of money to do that so they can see that money and hard work are linked because essentially that is going to be an important piece that to get money they're going to have to start earning it at some point and they're still a bit young at the moment so we still give them <laughs> an allowance every week but at some point when they get older we're going to say if you want something you're going to have to find ways of earning that money and that can be via us but it can be other ways as well absolutely i couldn't agree more and the other follow-up question i had on what you said before about patience i think patience is key in every stage in life for every single thing a human being does whether that's building a career building wealth but in terms of we live in a instant gratification type of world so what are things we can teach our kids that are effective and that effectively teach patience and delayed gratifications? And should we change our strategy depending on the age? Do you have any tangible things that you can tell parents about that? Yeah, no, certainly. And it is a very hard topic to teach. Um, so what one of the bits is with patience is about making it small. And I think this is really powerful. So when we think about money, we generally think about saving or spending. And people see it as quite a binary. It's either you're a spender or you're a saver. And what I really want to get across is you can be both and you should be both. And actually, you should be predominantly a spender, but you should just have a bit of savings. And so what I recommend is when teaching kids about patience is to try and keep it small. So an example would be my daughter might get a chocolate bar, for example. And I'd say, well, you can eat most of it, but keep a little bit in the fridge for tomorrow or whenever it is. And if you do, I'll give you an extra little reward. And so she still gets to 
eat most of the chocolate bar there and then. And I think that's the bit that's the hardest. If I said, don't eat any of the chocolate bar and save it for a week, she would hate me. <laughs> she might do it, she might not, but it would be a horrible experience. Whereas actually eat most of it, but save some. And then the next day when she goes to the fridge, she feels happy because she's got an extra day of having a bit of, of chocolate. But also I give her a, potentially a little bit of reward. So if I have a chocolate bar as well, I might save it some in the fridge for her. So it shows that it's not painful experience, but also she gets rewarded for it. And I think this is really important because what we want to do is reward kids for being patient, but patience in kids' world is like a day, maybe two days, and then as they get older. But we need to show that they're going to be rewarded because we know as adults that if we are patient, we are going to get rewarded, whether that's avoiding debt or if that's investing in the stock market, but which can take years, but the rewards are very, very handsome. And so I think that's the bit that we need to, we need to keep it small and make sure that they get a reward. And it may not be a realistic reward in terms of what it might be in the future, but it's still showing them. And then the more they see that, the more likely that they're going to want to be patient. You can take that concept and translate it into other things. Like, you know, if I give you $10 today as they grow up, maybe, you know, don't go out and spend the 10, you know, maybe you want to spend six and keep four for like the next few weeks, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And the other bit, it's about saving. So I know a lot of parents or even guardians or, or family members put some money away for kids and say, well, when you're, they'll get this money when they're 18. But sometimes what they do is they, they don't tell the kids about it. And they're like, when they get 18, it'll be a nice surprise. That takes away a huge opportunity for the kids to learn about patients kind of indirectly. Because if you tell them about it and they know it and they can see it and they can building up and they can see it and then they can start planning and they can, especially if it's being invested and they see the money growing and see that power of compound interest and the, the reward that you get from being patient, that's much more likely to say, well, oh, actually, maybe I want to continue doing that for myself when I do get the money when they're 18. Whereas if, it, if they don't know about it, get it on their 18th or 21st birthday, it's just going to feel like They've won the lottery <laughs> and we know how good lottery winners are at keeping their money. So I think that's a huge bit. So if anyone listening to this is saving for any children, make sure the children know about it and you kind of give them some updates on that because that'll show the power, especially if you're contributing a little bit regularly, because you can say, well, I did this for 18 years and I only put $10 away every month, but now it's worth thousands of dollars on your 18th birthday. That's going to be wow, I didn't realize that small amounts can end up in such a big sum. I think that's huge. One of the things I've realized with my nephew, we underestimate sometimes how intuitive and how smart kids can be at that age. He's about five, six years old. And I remember one time we were driving down the highway and he just started asking me like, what are those poles? You know, and like, I'm just, you know, started explaining him, you know, like this is where we get our electricity from. It's a grid and it comes from a place so we can have light in our house. And he could, he just kept asking like, why, 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 why? And, you know, he gets it. And like, my wife was like, wow, like this is like amazing, you know? And like, I think we can do that with money. Like you said, you know, okay, we're saving. What is the purpose? Like there's a reason we're doing it. And I think kids will get it, right? Yeah. And that point you made about kids are just intuitively getting this stuff I've, I've done a few sort of presentations with some schools and so i do like a 20 minute presentation and it'll be questions and answers i'll say who's got a question and all of them pretty much put their hands up they want to talk about money so i know going back to that conversation that we had earlier about it being a taboo subjects if we do raise it children we might think, or some adults might think talking about money is boring, but actually for children, it's fascinating. And they, if they can get the opportunity to talk about money, that they'll want to. They want to know where did it start? How did the richest man in the world become so rich, et cetera, et cetera. They're fascinated by it. A hundred percent. So let me just shift the conversation here a little bit. So I read a quote the other day. I think it was Rash Patel who said it. He said something like this. We know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. So in a world of conspicuous consumption and Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, how can we teach kids effectively the value of things? Yeah. And this comes back to giving children an allowance. And I think it's if parents can afford to do it, they really should. And what they can do with that allowance is then get the children 
to start saving up for the things that they want. And sometimes that can be hard for parents because the children were like, I want it now, I want it now. And you have to say, no, if you want it, you have to save up your pocket money. And it might take you five, six weeks of not using your pocket money to buy it. And then the children will be then making a decision. Do they want to sacrifice <laughs> all the other decisions like buying the candies or the cheap toys, which they can buy now versus this bigger toy that's going to take them a few weeks. And by getting them to go through that process of saving for it will get the children to understand whether they really do value what that money is going for. And it's so easy for parents, especially parents who do have a lot of wealth, to be able to just say, well, okay, keep them happy. I'll just buy it for them. But actually, we need to teach them, no, actually, we need to be restrained as parents to say, if we want our kids to be good with money, we need to sort of have some sacrifices and that might not just for ourselves, but for our kids. So they learn to value. And so it's one of these really weird conundrums. And it kind of comes across in one of the characters in the book. So you have the Boris character who comes from a family who are like, we don't come from money. We're never going to be rich. Why bother even talking about this? So we need those types of families to have this kind of very much wealthy mindset of saying, well, if you really, if you work hard and you look after your money, you can become. And if they have that mindset, they will. For the other end of the spectrum, where you've got a lot of wealthy families, we essentially need to put our children in this false scenario where they don't have money. So they do start to appreciate it. And that does mean holding back on spending for them so they learn to save and, and spend for themselves. Well, it's remarkable you say that because sometimes I do see a situation where you know you can be like very good at teaching you know budgeting and all these things but then christmas comes and we're showering kids with like all these gifts and i see it with my friends i see it with my nephews are we reinforcing this bad behavior undoing some of the good things that we may be doing by teaching all the things that you talked about by just christmas coming along and showering kids with all these gifts that you know they're going to use them like four or five times and then they're going to be dumped you know like you know the story right so what are some effective strategies that we can do like in this type of holidays to not reinforce this idea of conspicuous consumption and just mindless spending? Yeah. And this is why I've started talking a lot more around charity because that really does bring it back. And so especially coming up to Christmas, one of the best ideas, and it's not my idea, I heard it from someone else, their children didn't value money. And I can't remember the conversation, but the parents are just like, all right, I need to teach my kids about the value of money. So they took them to a supermarket and they gave them it was five pounds in the uk so whatever that is in dollars and said to them see how much food you can buy with this five pounds and we'll give that food to the food bank for those in need for christmas and i just thought that's a fantastic way and the kids loved it because normally they might say well they spend that on a plastic toy and not think about it but now they had to go around the store and say right well i don't want to just go and buy one bar of chocolate because that's not going to last very long so right, what can we buy that will be useful and what's cheap, what's expensive? And it's a really good, and they came back with, I think about 50 different items <laughs> that they went into this food bank. And it was good because there was two of them. So they had different, uh, they went around the store together and had different baskets. But yeah, I'd reckon, and I think that's one of the most powerful lessons where from a parent sort of trying to install that value, even when it's not about their going to their kids. So it's teaching them, helping someone else. So I got to go to the food bank and see that people don't have as much as they do. <laughs> and it gets them to really think about what they can get for their money. So I thought that's a really good exercise. You kind of got me by surprise when you introduced that in the book, you know, and I find it's such a fascinating thing that you did there to integrate that idea into the saving, investing, being patient. I think if we bring it back to like all the problems we have now with like a lot of teenagers and people when it comes to mental health, if you look at all the religions and the mystics, like a lot of them agree that when you do something for someone else, you do feel better. And I did read this study the other day where people who do charity and do volunteering tend to report higher levels of happiness and sense of purpose and, you know, just overall life satisfaction. So I, the fact that you put that in the book for like a kid to start understanding that, I thought it was remarkable. Yeah. And I think one of the big ones from the charity point of view is this, so one of the big problems with money is this keeping up with the Joneses. You want to, and I think if you give to charity, you can start taking yourself out of that game because you don't know what people are giving away. And so in most cases, you assume they're not giving much away. 
So if you start giving a little bit of money to charity, you can't say, well, this person's got a nice fancy car. And you're like, well, I've made a choice not to have the fancy car, but to give a little bit of charity and have a, a modest car. And therefore you just stop com comparing yourself to that person. It doesn't matter what that other person buys. If it's designer clothes, you've just said, oh, I can't compare myself to them because I now give some of my wealth to charity. And I think just that piece alone can have a huge impact on how you see the world. And that's why I wanted to put that in the book to help children realize that giving to charity not just helps them, because as you mentioned, those who do give feel benefits, but also stops them comparing themselves to others and say, well, I'd rather not have that fancy thing and rather give a little bit of money to help others. And especially if you can see a charity. So my kids give some money to sort of an animal sanctuary and they get to see the animal. So it's not, just, it's not just gone off somewhere and they don't know where it's gone. And we can just sort of say, well, they actually get to see. And I think that's really powerful because they see where the money's gone and they can see it's being helped for others. And I think that was a really powerful thing to do. Yeah. And you're introducing this concept of, you know, you can focus on building your wealth and all things, but there are also things in life that are greater than yourself. And when you bridge that gap, I think it's, you know, a lot of good things can happen, right? Yeah. And that's just not something that's been taught. And you just think, oh, the, the people who do the charity work are just a different from me. But what, it's one of those, if you start the action, then you, the actual mindset follows. Right. All right. So a lot of the things I'm noticing as well. So yeah, we talked about conspicuous consumption and, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, but I do see that there is a shift in my generation about saying, let's buy the BMW and invest more in experiences. So how can we teach kids effectively to have a nice balance where it's like, okay, you're saving, but you're also spending to buy experiences and, you know, spend time with friends and things like this. So do you have any thoughts around that? Yeah. So I think whether you're buying experiences or bits, I mean, the key bit is that they learn they've got to save a little bit. <laughs> so then it comes to coming down to what makes them happy. And I think this is a huge topic about happiness. And I know people link money and happiness. Money is just a tool. It's what you do with that tool that finds your happiness. So if you go and buy a toy and you don't play with it, well, getting kids to reflect on that and say, well, how much happiness did that toy bring versus going to the trampoline park? Would you rather do? And most of them will. And a lot of times it's a case of just reinforcing those thoughts, getting them to think about that. Because I think when we go through life, we're just so busy and the same with kids. They don't get time to sort of reflect on the choices they make. And therefore you go to the shops and you're seeing material purchases and options to buy all the time. You're not seeing experiences all the time. Experiences come at certain points that when it, they can be fit in. And so we need to make sure that we sort of take the time for kids to reflect and say, well, what truly makes you happy? And they'll very much always say being around their friends and family. And you say, well, that's the thing that you should make sure when you're thinking about what you're going to do with your money, to make sure you get more opportunities to do that because that's going to make you happy. And that's what money's there for. It's a, a tool and you can use that tool to, to give you opportunities to make yourself as happy as possible. So make sure you spend it wisely. A hundred percent. I'm seeing that shift in, you know, in my career, my job, you know, we help people with building like, you know, their wealth and doing it in an integrated way that tries to give them peace of mind for what's to come in the future. But I don't agree with this just mindless accumulation of money for the sake of nothing right like at the end of the day you know if money doesn't have the purpose it's just it's meaningless right and it makes me sad sometimes when i see people who end up in a later stages of life with like a huge portfolio but they didn't get to travel they didn't get to spend it and then somebody will get that money and a lot of those children of older clients are already at the stage where they don't need the money anymore it would have been nice to get it like maybe a bit earlier so uh, yeah i i totally see what you're saying yeah, and it's all about balance. And I think this is the, the piece. It's, I want my kids to be spending. I do. I, I say save some, but then feel uh, liberated to spend whatever you want on the rest. And again, hopefully spend it wisely. And if you don't spend it, then, then put some more into savings. But do the savings first, just a little bit, at least 10%. Put that away and then just freeze you up to have guilt-free spending. And then it's the case. But as you say, some people go too extreme. They just like, I want to keep saving and I don't want to spend. And there's the others who are like, oh, you only live once. But yet then 
<laughs> they live for a long time without much money afterwards. And <laughs> that can be quite a painful experience. So it's all about yeah, having those experiences, buying the things that do bring you happiness. And there are some material bits that bring different people, but just make sure you have that savings. It's just so many benefits of it in terms of accumulating another source of income. It gives you that security in terms of when things go bad and all the, the good bits that you, you already know about. Of course. This is fascinating, by the way. I, I'm kind of sad we're only doing one episode, but that's a, <laughs> we can leave that for later. But I want to talk to you about what do you think the role of schools is right now? Are they doing enough to teach about money? I don't know in the UK, but I know in Canada, certainly the answer is no. But what's your take on this? Are schools doing enough? So no, is the short answer. There's, <laughs> there needs to be more done with schools. But at the same time, I do believe it's still goes on the shoulders of, of parents because money is around habits. It's about mindset. And that's very hard for schools to do because they've just got so many different pupils who have all different backgrounds. So there's two parts of money. There's the education side. So what is money? What are the different terminologies? Why we should look after our money? But then there's the, the habits and the behaviors. And unfortunately, that's really, really difficult to be taught at schools. But clearly, if the more that schools can do the better in terms of providing that financial knowledge and potentially providing that spark for the child then to go back to the home and start asking some questions and hopefully having some meaningful conversations in the home. But it's great to see it's starting globally to come into some schools. So I know in the US, there's a number of states that are putting in kind of mandatory financial education topics, even if it's just sort of one class a semester. But hopefully that's just the start of a, a new wave and we'll start to see it become in across different year groups and maybe more classes. So that'd be fantastic. We should never leave this to be, this is something the school should do and it's not to do with me. Same thing with, with health as well. Schools can teach children about eating healthily, but if they go home and their parents have bought four pizzas and six donuts, it kind of probably ends up in more confusion than actually being helpful. A hundred percent. I wouldn't expect schools to take the responsibility of instilling all the good habits you have talked about that have to be instilled in the home. But I will expect, you know, something just to make help kids understand, like, why do we pay taxes? Like just maybe basic budgeting or something like that, that at least puts them in the right frame of mind. Because a lot of these things, you know, like I talk to people sometimes who are like PhDs in like engineering and, you know, they're just like clueless on the financial literacy side. And like I always tell them, it's not that about being dumb or smart. It's just like we were not thought about these things. The financial sector probably benefits from having all this confusion in the industry, right? Because they can sell you more with confusion because when you have confusion, people just end up like getting frustrated and just end up paying for whatever, right? But just at a bare minimum, they should do something along those lines, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. And some of it's just getting the funding for adding in this new subject. And that's the hardest bit. And that's one of the bits that gets me so proud and I get so excited is when people have read my book and then they've said they've read my book and now they've bought five copies, whatever it is, to give to their local school to put into the school library because the book's not top of mind. So it's not like most parents don't go out and say, I want to go and buy a book about money for my kids. And so the parents who are or people who are going and buying the book and then sharing it to other children who may never get the opportunity to talk about money, get to see the book is fantastic. And I, I hope that continues. Absolutely. And, you know, like, I think we need to do something at the municipal level as well, because one of my things that I always say is that the sad thing about our industry is that, unfortunately, the people who need it the most can't afford the services of a financial advisor or a financial planner. So this is where, like, there's a huge gap into what we do for people who can't afford it. And then people who end up needing it the most, they can't afford it. So as a society, I think we need to raise the tide to help those people in a way, right? Exactly. And that's, that's referring back to the character Boris in the book going, there's, there's loads of Borises in the world and we need to get them to understand that they too can look after their money and learn in very simple ways. And if they, they do it for long enough, they, they can have a different life to potentially the life they had when they were growing up. But unless they get that education, they're probably never going to feel that that's even a possibility. So they're not even going to try. And that's the hardest thing. Right. 
All right. So let me ask you about something that you've written about because I went into your blog post. I was going through your website yesterday and I saw a really good post that you had. The name was Four Ways Social Media Can Stop Your Kids From Becoming Wealthy. So talk to me about how technology can be a force of good for teaching kids about money. Yeah, for a force of good. So no, social media is hard one because there's so much projected out there around people who have money and they, they show it off and therefore we want to kind of follow those. They want to follow that and therefore it's all in your face and they're getting fed this. We have to try and get our kids to take a step back and say, actually, how real is that? Why are the people posting this? And so with my kids, I always say, do they have any blue trees? And we use blue trees as a an analogy for savings. So it's, if you have savings, you've been growing in it. We call these blue trees. And so social media is really pumping in this more so than ever. When I was growing up, we still had keeping up the Joneses, but you'd compare yourself to your friends or your classmates. But most of the time, they'll be in the same social, economical state background as you came from. You might have the, the, the odd rich kid who's coming to the school, but majority are in the same. And so if someone got a bike, a nice bicycle or something, it wasn't going to be that much better than the bike that you had. And you probably had something else that they didn't have and your parents would remind you of that. Whereas today, children aren't comparing themselves to just their friends. They're comparing themselves to the whole world. And so they're getting this, they're also on social media, they're getting targeted by ads. And so it's just getting pummeled into them about spend, spend, spend. And so, yeah, when we're we're talking to our kids, we're just trying to make sure that they understand what's going on with social media, making sure if they have that awareness of social media, that they can understand that it's probably a bit fanciful. It's not really what people's lives are like. They're only going to project the best side of themselves we don't know if they don't have any blue trees and we need to make sure that we limit the amount of time that they have on social media. But then on other bits, there are some bits in terms of positive bits about social media. There are nice stories of actually it is possible to come from a sort of humble background and, and kind of do well, but it's about finding these accounts. It's about understanding and we can help as adults and guardians, we can help say, well, actually that it's, this person has done this or there's little, there are accounts where kids have started their own businesses and they're talking about that. And I think they're fantastic because we're starting to show that kids don't just have to grow up and get a job and work nine to five and then retire when they're 65. Even as kids, they can start to learn that it's a, they can start their own little business and they've got to try and find an audience and, and social media is clearly one of those audiences. So it has got a lot of negatives in my mind, but it has got some positives in there. But it's all about helping kids navigate that. And if I think if we, we just let them off the leash and say onto social media, then like there's more likely that they're going to fall into the, the downsides of social media. And hence the, the name of that blog was sort of for, for reasons that it's going to keep them poor as opposed to the reasons it's going to make them wealthy. I want to ask you about something that's very dear to me. So the immigrant story. So a lot of immigrants, we move to the Western world looking for a better financial future. It's a sacrifice, hard work, and sometimes resources are scarce. I remember being a student. I moved to this country like without speaking English or French, you know, having to be a student and all that. So my kids will probably have a lot more comfort that I had. And some could say I'm robbing them from an opportunity to build character and learn this valuable lesson. So how can I ensure that I teach my kids about the value of things without sounding like I'm lecturing them? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. And, and saying, whilst I'm not an immigrant, but we're more well-off than what my parents were. So how do we make sure we instill those same values? And I think it just comes down to being disciplined around getting the children to save up, getting them to understand what they value and sharing those stories about your background, what you had to go through. So they start to appreciate it more and more. And again, going for using charities, et cetera, again, just helps them appreciate and be have that gratitude towards what they really value and what they have got. And hopefully understand that they're not just going to get handed a silver platter. And I think that's one of the hardest pieces. And you hear this quite often. I now earn money 
and therefore I don't want my children to go through what I went through, which is fine. You there's probably some hardship, but at the same time, there's a danger of children becoming entitled, and we're starting to hear more and more stories about kids being entitled, and we need to. Be very careful about that. We want to give them some niceties, but as I say, we need to sometimes be a bit what might seem harsh because you're like, well, I've got the money. Why would I not just give it to them and make them happy? It's my job to make them happy. Sometimes in the long run, it's so much better to, to have those little sacrifices so they do appreciate what they have. A hundred percent. I saw your website has a course on how to teach kids about money, how to talk to them about money. So talk to me about this course and how can people find it? Yeah, so my website is bluetreesavings.com. And on there, I've got sort of, I think it's about 150 different blogs that covers lots of different topics. But I thought, well, given I had so much of that content and some people like to digest it in different ways. So I put a course, which is five 20 minute videos, but goes through what I see as the core topics. So it's what kids should know about money. And it's for parents to watch. But it can also be for older kids, so from about 10 years old and upwards to watch with their parents, to go through these core topics. By the end of it, I'm really confident that those topics are kind of embedded into their kind of mindset and their day-to-day. They're going to grow up financially healthy and wealthy. And so, yes, yeah, so I've got the book for kids to read. I've got the blogs for parents to read. But if parents and kids want to digest in a video format, uh, I put the online course there. In your book, there is a guide on how to open an investing account for a kid. So I think that those resources are fascinating. We'll link your website and your blog and all that into the notes of the podcast. But Will, it's too short for me because like we could talk for hours about this subject. I'm extremely passionate about this subject. I think it comes across as well for you. You know, It's fascinating, all the research you've done and, and what you're doing. So I'm super excited to keep following you on, on LinkedIn. I'm sure we'll find a way to reconnect again. So I thank you for your time. No, thank you. And thank you for having me and giving the people listening to this, this opportunity to, to promote this topic. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor Podcast, hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.